not open to persuasion, and the answer was an unqualified no. The lieutenant moved a few yards away and leaned up against a tree. His eye swept along the barbed wire fence that enclosed the compound. There was a small break in the wire next to the guard post. A staff car had just driven up, and half a dozen officers were spilling out. The sentries were occupied. The lieutenant removed his crutches from under his arms and stood them against the tree. With astonishing adroitness, he moved his long, lean body through the narrow gap a few feet behind the preoccupied sentry. Lurching precariously, he hurried as fast as he was able towards the asphalt path that led to the main building. It was not until he was nearing the steps that the sentry's eye caught the tall, dark-haired figure so like the officer on crutches. Where had the officer on crutches gone? The sentry looked down the street, no officer, but leaning against the tree were the crutches. It was quite clear. "'Sir!' shouted the sentry. He ran after the tall figure, which seemed to be accelerating. "'Stop that man!' The people on the path looked around in surprise, but by this time the culprit was disappearing through the front door. The lieutenant saw that there was no time to lose. He did not, in fact, have an appointment with anyone, but his intention was to pay a call on the commander-in-chief of the British forces in the Middle East. Now it was obvious that he could not afford to be particular, for the commotion outside was growing louder— he lurched down one corridor and around another. Then he came to a door marked Adjutant General. This, he decided, must do. He pushed it open and walked in. The small, red-faced Major was sitting at a desk, writing. He looked up in surprise. Then an expression of indignation crossed his face as he noticed the single star on the intruder's shoulder. "'What the devil do you want bursting in like this? Even in the army it's customary to knock?' The lieutenant saluted smartly. "'I'm sorry, sir, but I had to see you on urgent business.' The Major was too annoyed to be impressed, and without asking the Lieutenant to be seated, replied coldly, "'Are you sure you can spare the time to explain?' The Lieutenant advanced a few paces, and told the Major that his name was David Stirling, that he was an officer in the Scots Guards, that he had transferred to Number 8 Commando in 1940, and come out to the Middle East with lay force, which, as the Major of course knew, was now being disbanded because of the unfortunate arrival of the Germans in Africa and the British Army's urgent need for replacements. But Lieutenant Stirling had a scheme of his own. He was certain, he said, that if he were given a small command of hand-picked men and officers, he could parachute behind the enemy lines and destroy the whole of the German Air Force on the ground. His plan was designed to coincide with the next major offensive. The Major listened, his anger swelling visibly. Sterling can still recall the conversation that followed, which went something like this. "'Do you remember me, Sterling?' "'No, sir.' "'And do you know why you don't remember me, and why, on the other hand, I remember you only too clearly?' "'No, sir.' "'Because in 1939 I was temporarily attached to the Scots Guards, and gave a series of lectures to the 2nd Battalion at Purbright on tactics.' And when I came to question you, Sterling, I found you in a deep sleep. The reason? Because I was told you made a habit of going to gay parties in London every night, and not returning until 6 a.m. Frankly, I regarded you even then as one of the least desirable officers in your regiment. I'm not at all surprised to find that you soon left and joined the first crackpot outfit you could find. Now you have the presumption to come to me and suggest that you be given your own private command in charge of your own private strategy with your own private hand-picked men. In my whole military career I've never heard such insolence. The answer is no, Lieutenant Sterling, a flat, unqualified no. And before you leave, let me say I'm sorry that you found your way to this office, for I assure you I will use my influence to see that you are posted to the battalion of your regiment now serving in the desert at the earliest possible moment. 
I am not sanguine about the advantage they will reap from your company, but in my report on you I will recommend that drastic steps be taken to lick you into shape. Good day. Sterling saluted. As he retreated towards the door, the telephone rang, and he just had time to hear the Major say, The sentry wants to make a complaint. Broke past the guard post. Send him out to my office. Yes, right away. By this time Sterling was hurrying unsteadily down the corridor. As he turned a corner, he saw the sentry approaching from the far end. He retreated rapidly, then paused at a door marked DCGS. The letters meant nothing to him, but it looked a useful port in a storm. This time he knocked and walked in. He found himself facing a man he knew well by photograph, General Ritchie, Deputy Chief of Staff, Middle East Forces. Ritchie looked up from his desk with the same surprise as the Major. David apologized for his unconventional call, but insisted that he had vital business to bring to the General's attention. There was a moment's pause, then Ritchie asked him to have a seat. David introduced